0: Welcome to the Table Dallas podcast. At the Table Dallas, we create a sacred space to worship, connecting our stories with the story of God as revealed in scriptures. We invite you now to listen to this week's discussion.
1: All right, welcome everybody to this February 28th gathering of the Table Dallas. We're glad that you're with us today, whether in this live Zoom format or at some later point around the world as you join us via podcast. As we continue in our series, the Holy Habits, and this week we've... Um, We're continuing on where we left off last week. Last week, we looked at the rhythm of Bible study and uh, reading and Bible study. And this week, we're looking at the, the holy habit and rhythm of prayer. And we have the opportunity to investigate today the model that Jesus gave us to follow as we communicate with our Heavenly Father. And so if you would, let's uh, let's bow our heads, and if you would, join me in a word of prayer as we begin our time together, okay? Father God, we thank you for this opportunity to be together in this format during these unusual times, and Father, we pray that as we um, engage with your word and we enter into this, this mysterious, mystical dance between the Spirit, um, the Holy Spirit, your word, and our personal experiences as we dance together and, and, and weave that along with our tradition and our understanding of the church's um, understanding of your word for so many generations. We pray that your Holy Spirit's presence might be palpable to us and might guide and direct us in our time together, for we make our prayer in the name of Christ. Amen. All right, so we're going to be in Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11 today, and uh, it may be a familiar text to some of you. Um, it is the shortened version, if you will, Luke's shortened version of um, Matthew's longer taking and telling of the Lord's Prayer, commonly known as the Lord's Prayer. So in Luke chapter 11, we're going to be looking at the first uh, 13 verses today and focusing our attention there on Luke chapter 11. And we're going to do the first 13 verses, but um, we're going to break it down into sections here because it naturally does that in the way that Jesus approaches, Luke lays this out in the way that Jesus approached this conversation. And so we're going to begin by looking at Luke chapter 11. And we're going to read the first four verses. This is the summary that Luke gives us of Jesus's response to his disciples' request for instruction on prayer. All right, we're reading from the Common English Bible. I'll read it uh, beginning in verse one. Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John, meaning John the Baptist, taught his disciples. Jesus told them, when you pray, say, Father, uphold the holiness of your name. Bring in your kingdom. Give us the bread we need for today. Forgive our sins, for we also forgive everyone who has wronged us and don't lead us into temptation. So it was customary for religious leaders to teach their followers to pray, usually in the form of a formalized or maybe you would call it a prescribed prayer for, specific occasions. It could even be like a blessing as you're walking home or a blessing as you or a prayer as you walk into your house or as you get out of bed in the morning. And there were these prescribed prayers for specific occasions. So that itself wasn't unusual, even though it might sound kind of strange to us, right? That not so much that Jesus would be asked to teach his disciples how to pray, but that like someone like John the Baptist was asked that same thing. So apparently that means that John had been providing those prayers for his his followers to pray. Likely those prayers were related to repentance and things like that. But one of Jesus' disciples was hoping he would provide such a prayer as well. And so while the rabbis tended to teach Jews how to pray individually, Jesus' model of prayer was for his disciples to pray together, which is a little bit of a different take on things. And as I said earlier, this is a simplified um, version of the similar account found in Matthew chapter six. So here's my question. As you look at those first four verses, what kinds or different kinds of communication did Jesus include in his model prayer? Different kinds of communication. What do you see there in those first four verses? some elements of this kind of prayer. Anyone? Well, one is kind
2: of, oh, go ahead. I was going to say in in verse two, his salutation is, uh, you know, like presenting himself before a king. He he is saying, your name is holy, make it holy, you know, your kingdom come let your kingdom be you know what as you know as it is on earth uh, kind of well bringing down the kingdom here on earth kind of thing but but it's it's kind of a, a you know presenting yourself to a king to me
1: so there's a sense of praise or a lauding mm-hmm. right is that a good way to say it okay good
3: peter well, yeah, on one hand, he's talking to God, Father, uphold the holiness, but on the other, he's um, almost uh, giving a prescription for our own behavior, like, uh, oh, as we forgive everyone who's wronged us, it's almost saying, oh, we're supposed to forgive. It's true. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Right. Uh-huh. What else? What other things are prayed for? Communication types in here. Maybe the communication piece is the harder part. The different elements that make it up, Mike
4: provision
1: uh, there's certainly a prayer for provision right provision for needs yeah good what else and by the way if you're not if you're not on where you can um, visually chat with us i do have the chat box open so if you want to add your thoughts there i can relay those to everyone as well elements i mean if there there's praise there's worship there's requests for god's will to be done right the meeting of needs forgiveness of sin what else is in there i think there's at least one more big one in there
4: protection say again protection
1: yeah a sense of protection yeah from what specifically from evil yeah from evil the things that want to that are working against
3: us in god's plan for us right good Stephen? There's definitely elements of forgiveness and reconciliation. A prayer for
1: forgiveness and a recognition that we also have to be forgive other people, right? Yeah, good. What else? Do you see any significance? Or I should say this way. What significance? Good teachers ask questions in the right way, right? What significance, if any, do you see... In the order of these different areas, you know, it begins with who God is, for instance, instead of the believer's need. Any other ideas or what significance, if any, do you see in the order of things? Does it matter?
5: Well, he doesn't ask for anything until the very end. So that's showing us that prayer is not just us asking things of God, like he's a vending machine. It's supposed to be us adoring him and actually having a conversation with him about who he is and why that
1: matters to us. Absolutely. Yeah, great observation. Others, about the order.
6: Um, to get our mindset in the right place, our heart, to start with thinking about who we're talking to and what power he has before we get down to our,
3: our needs and, and requests.
1: Yeah, and that's a great observation, because I think it it does go back and tie a little bit to, to the question I asked at the beginning, which the answer to it, should it be different, is yes and no, because no, in the sense of we want it to be communication and open communication, all the things that you identified, but it is different in the sense that we're talking to the creator God, you know, the Holy One of Israel, who is Holy Other, capital O-T-H-E-R, right? And so there is that difference, right? And beginning with that, recognizing that and identifying that in our prayer as a wise piece, right, Mike?
4: I have a question, David. <clears throat> in other translations, I've seen the uh, the Lord's Prayer begin with the word um, um, which would imply a more, rather than addressing a king um but addressing your daddy um what can you say about that
1: well i think you i think you've hit it spot on right so the idea is abba being you know the the common daddy so you could if we were translating it less formally right you would say daddy so the idea that we are children we are heirs we are children of a king so we are princes and princesses right going and requesting of our father who hope who also happens to be the creator and sustainer of life and the king and and, and you know his kingdom and all of those pictures that he gives us there so that is a great observation yeah those do, are
4: do you know if the original greek has abba there
1: so that's aramaic so that word is aramaic and so that's just it's, it's not slang it's just common it's like what are some other words that we? I mean, we say dad or daddy, but there's there's other words that we use. What are some oh. of the other colloquial? I see the semen said something. What was that? We we're saying pops. Pops or pa. Daddy. Yeah. Daddy-o. daddyo. What daddy? Daddyo? I don't know about that one, but okay. Yeah, good, good. So each of the things that Jesus tells us to ask for in this prayer interestingly, and you may not have known this, it corresponds to a promise from scripture. So in the order that they're placed there, and you can go back and look at these later on, the promises there and the requests there are related to Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 14, Daniel chapter 7, Psalm 145, Jeremiah 31, and then later on, uh, 1 Corinthians 10, verse 13. In other words, These are all promises. The things that we are asking for are all things that are promised to us. Sherry is going to love this, right? The answer to the all in Jesus is yes, right? That's the answer. Now. Yes and amen. That's right. So (laughs) if God has already promised to do these things, why does he still want us to ask, Sherry?
2: Well, one reason for me would be daddies like to be asked, but it also puts me in the position that I'm not the one that's providing for, for myself. I am depending on him. Uh,
1: so. I like that. Yeah, other thoughts on if they are already promised these things like our provision and forgiveness of sin and all of those things and God's kingdom has come right why does he still want us to ask Mike
4: Uh, as a reminder of those promises maybe Okay. okay that's good
2: and when you speak them into being that's when his word goes forth with power and it doesn't return void so it kind of wakes up the promises when
7: when we're speaking them I think it's it's maybe to foster a relationship because if you you think about it, let's say like one of your kids, Pastor David, you know that they need something, but if they ask you, it kind of makes it so that you have an open relationship where they can come to you. So you see that.
1: I like that. Yeah, it's, 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 uh, so you don't take it so you're not taking for granted maybe. Johannes?
0: I think it also forces you to recognize that you need that. So even, so he wants you to always recognize, I'm gonna provide it, but I want you to daily recognize with everything else going on, that you need that from me.
6: Yeah, exactly. And historically the people would forget and then, and then go fall away from him. That's right, honey.
1: yeah. We have that tendency, don't we Ronnie, to forget those things, right? And so maybe a, another way of asking the question is, how does knowing, he has promised these things affect how we pray? How does knowing that he promised these things affect how we pray?
0: I think it makes you less afraid to be open and honest and transparent because you know he's, always, he's already promised forgiveness. And so knowing that what the relationship is and that he's gonna provide this provision and he's gonna give you that opportunity, lets you put your guard down and be more open to give and receive. Like,
1: yeah, excellent. Any other
0: thoughts?
2: I think this is where I get a little bit more raw with God than I can with people, because I actually will say, "You promised in your word," and and I'll even read it verbatim to them. It's not it's not being rude, but it is you know remember your promises lord and i think even that's in the scripture so, somewhere remembering your children remembering your promises and, and uh but but i do i will say to him sometimes you know you promised this to me and i will read it to him
1: love that, love with, that.
2: with respect yeah don't don't be snarky don't be ugly but, <laughs> with respect
1: <laughs> exactly.
4: yeah um <clears throat> i just wondered what what change it would have in the prayer if we put the word "keep" in front of each each sentence? Keep uh, bringing in your kingdom. Keep giving us our provisions. Keep forgiving our sins, but since they have been promised. I just just a thought that came to my mind.
1: It's an awesome idea. I hadn't even thought about that. That's a great idea. Yeah, because it it reminds us that they are there, right? But what I loved about what Sherry was saying, and it kind of transitioned now into the second section that we need to look at here, because this part might surprise us just a little bit, okay? It's a a two-part parable, or, or I guess I should say maybe a parable with an explanation as we begin in verses, begin and pick up again in verse five. And then we're going to read down through 10, and then we'll leave the last couple of verses Uh, for the final bit of our discussion, because, you know, now these first four verses contain Jesus's teaching, you know, for his disciples and for us, a model for prayer, and I would argue now or suggest that verses 5 through 13 is about the personality of the one to whom we pray. It's it's more about what is God like, Jesus is giving a parable here, that will then help us understand how we can Uh, how we are to approach him then, right? So beginning in verse five, we read Luke 11. He, speaking of Jesus, also said to them, imagine that one of you has a friend and you go to that friend in the middle of the night. Imagine saying, friend, loan me three loaves of bread because a friend of mine on a journey has arrived and I have nothing to set before him. Imagine further that he answers from within within the house. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. Verse eight, I assure you, even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give his friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. Verse nine, and I tell you, ask and you will receive Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be open to you. Everyone who asks receives. Whoever seeks finds. To everyone who knocks, the door is open. We need a little bit of a cultural um, background here to understand that people in the time of Jesus there would often travel at night or in the evening in order to avoid the heat of the day. It was always a balancing act though, because it was quite dangerous to travel at night. Obviously there were more bandits and robbers out and about, um, but because it was so hot and so dry in the daytime, uh, it wouldn't be that unusual for people to arrive at say, I don't know, midnight. And that explains the sudden visit of a friend arriving at that time. Not to mention the fact that as you traveled, there would be all kinds of potentially unexpected delays, And keep in mind, there's also very few options for finding food along the way. So in that Eastern culture, as it was then and is today, it's customary to feed a guest. And it's pretty disgraceful not to offer anything. Even in our travels in Uganda in the years we've been going there, it is almost... um, I can't even count, I I don't even think I could remember an instance, no matter how impoverished an area I was going to, where I wasn't offered something as a refreshment, right? It's part of that culture, right? And it's shameful if you don't. So most people lived in these one-room houses and they would sleep with their families, likely all in the same room. So knowing that as the background, why do you think this situation might be bothersome to the neighbor? In other words, how do you think you might have responded had you been in that same situation? And I think those of us with families like Courtney with young kids may have a slightly different answer than, I don't know, some of us who are a little older who are empty nesters. Thoughts on why that might be bothersome
3: Well, if that guy doesn't help them out, they may come next door to you.
7: Well, that's true.
3: <laughs>
7: <laughs> that's true. I was just thinking—if you think about it, especially if you have little kids and they're in you're all in the same room, any movement could wake them up. And Lord knows it's hard enough to get little people to sleep, so that messes that up. Compared to if you have older people, of course, it's still annoying to them because you're moving, you might kick them or something, but <laughs> they'll go back to sleep by themselves. You know, deal with it.
8: Courtney. I think it depends. <laughs> I can walk into our kids' rooms and they don't stir at all. So I think I think that's going to vary family for family. But I mean, I don't know. I mean, I think going through the storm we just went through last week, I mean, we were all helping neighbors. And I don't know that any of us would have not helped somebody that came to ask. That's
3: true. That's true.
1: Do you think that, Courtney, that that has anything to do with this, just how enormous the the challenge was in other words do you think it would be different if it had just been an everyday occurrence versus you know a pandemic on top of snowopolis
8: well but the the person that came to the door wasn't somebody that came continuously it wasn't somebody right i mean it was a one time not one time but a, a not a occur, frequent occurring event right. right i mean so in that sense it was similar Okay.
4: And and they know each other, you're assuming. Too.
1: Uh, yeah, this is a this is a friend. Yeah, it's, this is somebody you know. It's a neighbor that you know. This is, yeah, automatically assuming, unlike in Dallas and, and probably Austin, although I haven't been where uh, Jay and Carrie live. But, you know, the, the whole idea is you could live next to someone and probably see them, you know, five times a year if you happen to be pulling into your back gate at the same time. Yeah, so definitely- I can,
2: and these houses go ahead Sherry. Oh, I'm sorry go ahead they, these houses were open to I mean they they didn't have paned glass and all that kind of stuff so the guy would be able he, he and it doesn't say that he knocked on the door it said that he kind of he came up and said hey friend could you loan me and it was probably not yelling from the sidewalk he would have gone and kind of up at the window hey hey Give me some bread, you know, kind of thing. Not not being rudely loud and obnoxious to wake up the neighborhood or anything. It would have been an intimate kind of, "Hey friend, can you help me out?" And it would be from the window, kind of, you know, the open window.
4: Okay,
1: Mike, you were starting to say.
4: I, I was about to say that I can't imagine. my next door neighbor coming to me under any circumstances and me not wanting to help
1: that's good yeah well look at look closer at the response of the neighbor in verses seven and eight all right so verse seven after six after he explains to him that in six you know whether it's quietly or noisily we don't know I have nothing to set before him now. Imagine further, Jesus says, that he answers that the, the host, we're gonna call the one who has the people who have arrived the host. Um, the host is there. Now he's talking about the neighbor. He says, imagine that that neighbor answers from within the house. Don't bother me, the door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything. What's that neighbor saying? What, what, what is the tone that you hear? in that piece and then followed up with verse eight right as his explanation why he might give you what you were asking for what's the tone how do you read it what's that neighbor saying to this next door neighbor unlike mike his first response is not hey what can i do to help you what's his first response
6: irritation
1: do what
6: irritation
1: Yeah, I like that. I I thought you said patience. I was like, really? No, Uh, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Irritation, do you read? Who else reads irritation in it? All right, a couple others, Phillips. Anybody else else read a different emotion in it? Listen again. Don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up to give you anything.
4: Inconvenience.
1: Yes, a sense of this is an inconvenient time. Okay, what else? Go away. Jody's like, yeah, just, just go away. Don't bother me. I can't be bothered. Now, keep in mind, in this day and time, in this culture, how would that response, would that be in a, what you would consider to be an appropriate and a right response in that day and time in that culture? Jay is shaking his head. You don't think so, Jay? Sorry. Okay. Sorry, and, unmuting.
3: No. That's, uh, you know, honor, shame, culture. not our modern culture that would not that would be very uh not good
1: yeah exactly any other thoughts on the tone of that
6: i've had a thought in this whole thing and it may be totally wrong but maybe part of the irritation or whatever is due to the fact this person wasn't prepared ahead of
1: time (laughs) so the neighbor's irritation is that your thought is the host should always be prepared for something like this. Ooh, that's interesting, Bill, because that is the attitude that we sometimes take, right? Well, they should have filled up, you know, hey, you don't have any water. You should have filled up your bathtub when you knew that there was gonna be 20 below zero or whatever the, you know, right? We have that part of us. I know I see Rhonda is smiling, right? There's a certain part of us that says, so your lack of preparedness makes it an emergency on my part. Get that sense? Yeah. What do you guys think? Is, is Phil way off base here? I what? would have a really hard
4: time taking that stance because I know how many times I've been ill-prepared for guests, you know, people coming over unannounced and,
1: oh my gosh,
4: we got to pick up. <laughs>
1: So, why, according to verses seven and eight, why does, or particularly verse eight now, so why does the neighbor finally acquiesce? Why does the host, we'll use Bill's term, the unprepared host, get what he is requesting? Why does he get from verse eight? Is that the answer? Why does he get what he wants? What's verse eight telling us? I'll read it for you. Friend. you. Even if he wouldn't get up and help because of his friendship, he will get up and give friend whatever he needs because of his friend's brashness. He's pushing.
6: Persistence. <laughs> Persistence,
1: yeah. So if I hear you right, the host, the unprepared host or the host who has these... uh Midnight arrivals, gets what he is requesting because he is persistent. He's brash. That word is anadea, that persistent. It's a boldness. It is, um, it's almost shameless. That's the idea behind it. Shamelessly requesting. And so to me, when we put that together, it's probably, Sherry, not. I don't get the census as much as,
5: hey, we're hey, here,
1: can you help me out here? I'm it's more of this, I'm going to make sure that everyone hears what's happening here. I'm gonna do it in such a way that there's no possible way, based on what like Jay was saying, that in this culture, they have the ability to say, no, I'm gonna be so bold, so persistent. I'm just gonna stay here until I get what I want. Now, those of us who are parents have been down this road, right?
2: Well, and that's why um, charities call you on the phone and ask you for money, because they know if they just sit back and wait for you to notice that they need it, you're probably not going to give them any. But a certain percentage of people are going to feel like, oh, they've called me, and I can't say no and do. You know, people are more
0: likely to to give if if they're asked real directly.
1: I understand. And that's the that's one of the hard that's one of the hardest pieces for me running a, a charity and a nonprofit, even a church, right? Not the ability to be persistent in asking and encouraging people to to give, to be part of what we're doing, right? That's a that's all that can be a challenging piece, right? To keep going back to people. Mike?
4: Would it be like the the neighbor was begging him? Just come on,
1: please, please come on. Help me out here. I think probably a better way to understand it, Mike, is he's. it's almost like he's taking, he's got the advantage in the culture of being able to put his friend in a position of honor or shame, right? You either help me or it's shameful, right? So he's kind of, it's, it's the and it, more of it is, is is applying pressure to where they can't say no courtney are you starting to say something sorry i
8: said he's being voluntold but i like that voluntold
1: he's been oh if someone has oh. Some experience of being voluntold i have a feeling
4: what is the shamelessness in verse eight the word shameless it says yet because of his shamelessness who is the his is that the neighbor or that's coming to the house or is it the one that's being disturbed whose shamelessness are they talking about there
1: uh, that would be the host okay so that's why i
4: was thinking maybe is he shamelessly begging for that was where i was coming from right just gonna...
1: so there are three action verbs in verse nine what are they simple easy this is a this is a no-brainer question three action verbs somebody boom get up Ask, ask, seek, knock. Ask, seek, and knock. So the word asking is obvious, right? What do you think seeking and knocking look like when we apply them to prayer in our lives? So we know what the asking is. What do we think the seeking and the knocking piece that Jesus is referring to here? Any thoughts on that? It might take us a bit here. Asking is pretty straightforward, right? But- well, if, if it's being like, modeled after like
5: the persistence and the impudence of this man who's knocking or yelling in the window, um, in a similar manner, we should approach God knowing that he is going to do this. It's part of his culture, part of his MO, if you will, that he's going to follow through with all these promises. And so when we approach him, we approach him with this boldness, knowing that he's going to give it to
1: us. Yeah, I like that. Excellent. Yeah, maybe
4: it also has to do with when we ask, we we keep looking for God's answer to that ask. I like that.
1: Ooh, that's a great one. Yeah, that's so that would be the the seeking piece, right?
3: I think there's a note of of you can't just passively act. But there's action required after this that you're expected to go out and seek and knock and not just go give it to me.
1: Yeah, so it it definitely counters, and you, you said it, Lee, and also Catherine mentioned it earlier, right? It kind of counters this um, genie in a bottle or a vending machine approach. And, and some people have contended that verse 10 is like a... Um, how would I phrase it? Like a magical incantation that, when we apply it, it, puts God in a position that He must answer our request. What do you think about that, catherine's Shaking her head. No, 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 no. Why are you shaking your head, Catherine?
5: Well, because He's not
1: obligated to us. But they're promised to us.
5: Right. So there's there's a difference between like saying gimme, 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 and then approaching with this boldness knowing that like he's this loving abba father who will who will do what's best for us because he loves us there's like a there's a slight difference there
4: good others how many many times have we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed for the the same thing seemingly never getting answered and then years later we see god's answer uh, we have to keep looking for God's answers to our prayers.
3: Jay
1: first and then Johannes.
3: My take was you can ask for whatever you want to, but you're going to get what you need.
1: That's true. They don't the always,
3: are not always in alignment.
1: That is a good, that's the point, right? So. That idea of the promises of our needs, but sometimes we get our needs and wants confused. We get our kingdom desires confused with God's kingdom desires, right? So just because we ask it and something's promised to us, it doesn't mean that it's asked, as, as he says in the, in the earlier piece, right, according to his will. Johannes?
0: I was thinking that um, I can remember my grandmother talking to me about this verse, and she would say, it's not an automatic yes. It's yes, no, or Wait. And so when you're, when in the prayer, you say your will, your will is either gonna be yes, no, or wait. And us being able to discern what that answer is. Is that
1: helpful and comforting to you? If so, why, Johannes?
8: It
0: is because I think when it's taught, when you read it and it's taught that everyone who asks receives. So when we think receive, we think that's an automatic yes. That means I'm going to ask you for something and you're going to give it to me. And I'm expecting what you're going to give me is exactly what I asked for. But it's comforting in knowing that I don't always know what's best for me. And so that gives that trusting peace in me that I have to trust God, that he knows what I need. And it may mean yes you can have that, that's within where we are right now, or no, that's not for your benefit, or wait, because maybe you need to get to a different place where then I can provide that for you when it's where you can accept it and use it for his glory. Like That,
4: that, that would seem like it would provide comfort for prayers that I pray for myself. But where I have trouble with that is when I'm praying for someone else, what seems to be a honorable prayer, a child is very very ill and you're praying for healing and that child is not healed that yes no or wait thing is not very comforting in that situation
0: but i i think that it even in that situation where um you're praying for someone who's sick it's still yes nor or wait, because if you start that with let your will be done, then it's not about me and what I want and how it's going to make me feel, but it's about him and what he needs and how he can use that for his ultimate glory. So I always tell people when my mom was passing away, I never, ever prayed for healing. I always prayed, let your will be done. That way, if it's not, if it wasn't what I wanted, my faith is not shaken. Because when people pray and say "heal this person" and it doesn't happen according to what they thought, then suddenly people start to doubt God. And so that yes, nor wait removes that doubt because it's not about me; it's about Him.
4: Some wisdom there for sure. Good point for His glory.
0: And I think that um,
1: you you guys have touched on something that you know, which is why we had to look at the first four verses before we dove into this actual parable piece because. The you know that idea of um, recognizing that we don't always, Mike, know we we have an idea of what we want to happen or what we think is best to happen, and so it's natural for us to pray toward that end, right? It's okay to pray for yes, I want healing, but you know better than me, right? You you understand better than me the situation. You have a perspective that I don't have, especially when it comes to that no. Because that's what I think as we wrap up our, our text this morning, Jesus actually addresses that, I think here in these last couple of verses, look at verse 11, because you, you know, we talked about at the beginning, we're praying to Abba, father, like daddy, like Daddyo, like pa, right? Please, these are the things I need. Now, listen to what he writes, uh, Luke says that Jesus said in verse 11, which father among you? would give a snake to your child if the child asked for a fish? The answer to that is what? Hello? The answer to that is what?
4: Oh. None of us.
1: <laughs> Not, no father hands a snake to a child if they're asking for a fish, right? If a child asks for an egg, what father would give that child a scorpion? The answer to that is? None. Okay. So. If you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? He's contrasting earthly fathers with our heavenly father. What is he saying? How do you interpret those words there, those last two verses?
4: God is going to outfather us each and every time.
1: Okay, I like that. What's he trying to communicate beyond just he is going to outfather us, which is a true statement.
4: Maybe, maybe think about how much you love your children. And God loves his children even more than that.
1: True. So. So what is, maybe I'll ask the question this way. What is the point of Jesus's comparison with earthly fathers giving good gifts? What's his point? Anybody? In relation to the questions being asked in the parable being given there.
7: Maybe he's trying to demonstrate the magnitude of what he can do because you know if you ask your dad for something yes you might you might say yes or he might say no and give it to you within his means but because god has no bounds maybe he's saying i can give you more
1: okay or something like that i like that
8: well the the two examples are they're asking for fish and they're asking for eggs so they're both in both cases the child is asking for something that they need but it's also something that is generally provided by their father you know so it's interesting that i mean that the children aren't asking for things that aren't necessary it's
4: true. but what confuses me is that you know like like corny's saying fish and eggs but then in the last verse it says holy spirit well, I, where's the comparison between a holy spirit and a physical
7: uh provision
4: like fish
7: and eggs that's a good I, question what do you guys think i think it would be on the scale of needs i mean basic needs that you see basic needs you know food water these natural things the earthly but god or the holy spirit is something you need not only personal in your spirit but to a greater magnitude it's expounded upon so maybe it's limitless like comparing to a limit of something physical okay
5: yeah and to piggyback off what joellen is saying he He's going above and beyond what we've asked for, right? Rather than just providing a fish and an egg, he's giving us like the breath of life. He's giving us the Holy Spirit to guide us. So even if we don't get the exact thing that we asked for, that healing for that loved one, he's providing for our our spiritual needs on a deep, deep level like
7: uh, tangible versus spiritual, something you can touch versus something that's not necessarily grasped with your hands. And I think- in, of-
2: in, in my version, it's the King James version, the version, sorry. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, going there. Uh, it, it says, uh, how, how much more shall your heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? So again, it's it's our part to ask our Heavenly Father for the Holy Spirit, just as a a child would ask his loving father for an egg or a fish or bread, things that that child feels like that he wants or needs. Well, we need to ask for the Holy Spirit, you know, and and he will lavishly
7: give us the Holy Spirit, you know, because he's a good father. I, I also think, think that maybe he's trying to remind you that no matter how you change or how, because you see as you grow older, you, you're more reluctant to ask your parents for things because you're like, okay, I'm older. I need to provide for myself. So he's trying to keep that same relationship throughout your life. So you can always just like a child goes to their father, come to me the same way.
4: Mm-hmm.
8: Go ahead.
7: And I think that when we ask, we ask for today, but he
0: provides for further than that. So I think that when when he's saying he'll give that the holy spirit how much more will he give it's because when we think about it we think about what we need right at this moment that's going to satisfy whatever the situation situation is right now where he's looking beyond that and the provision of the holy spirit gives you the opportunity and the capability to move beyond that
1: yeah phil
6: yeah i just kind of see this i guess you know we ask and he's promised us that we're going to get some. we're going to get what we ask for, that we've got to seek it because sometimes it doesn't look like what we think it's going to be. So we seek out in our own ability. Then when we continue maybe to struggle, we start knocking a little harder. That's where the Holy Spirit comes in and guides us and gives us that answer. So maybe it all ties back in to that and answers the question, okay, I pray for this and it doesn't happen. Well, maybe we just haven't seek and ask the Holy Spirit, you know, why did this happen this way? And maybe that's what we need to be doing more than going, God, you didn't give this to me.
1: Yeah, Luther, it looks like you unmuted.
3: Yeah, so I, when, I, when I've read this before and it keeps coming back to me, um, I, I think this ties into the Imago Dei idea. Where do you think these have got this idea of doing the right thing for their children? That is a direct copy of what God has done for his children. Um, So you get good gifts because that's what's supposed to happen in a right relationship, and I think the switch to the Holy Spirit, um, even in the Old Testament, when someone had the, like, they were declared as having the Holy Spirit, um, when the prophets had it, that was a sign that they were in right relationship where the rest of the nation was usually broken, and so this giving that Holy Spirit is a sign of being in right relationship, so um, all those things that we talked about in the in the first four those are about right relationship with God, understanding your position under him um, and reliance on him but also he talks about forgiving and Jay brought up this before not only are we forgiven but we're supposed to be in right relationship with other people. so this is going back to that you know the Holy Spirit is the the middle hub that locks everything in you know you're in the right place.
1: Yeah, I love that. The one other piece I would add, um, to that Holy Spirit, and I love what you you said, Phil, because I think it does directly go back to uh, to kind of this um, just the request that we you know all the requests about Jesus teaching them how to pray and all of this. Because one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, as it relates to that ask, the seek, the knock, the forgiving provision of care, provision of needs, is that the Holy Spirit is described as our um, advocate. That's one of the one of the roles that the Holy Spirit has. So this idea of, of praying, so when we have the Holy Spirit, we have someone who is advocating on our behalf, right who is working alongside of us to help reveal to us as Phil said, maybe we didn't see this answer, right? but remember that um, uh, the Holy Spirit can then reveal that to us or when we're having a difficult time forgiving someone who's done something you know terrible toward us, right? We have this advocate who's Who's constantly going the way it's described, right? Constantly going to the Father on our behalf and saying, Yeah, yes, you've promised to meet these needs, but here's this above and beyond thing that I need you to do for them and to be praying alongside of us. That's that's that role of advocacy for the Holy Spirit that we sometimes miss. Does that tie in a little bit with what you were saying, Phil? That idea of working and and guiding and being not just an advocate for us as a role and guiding us, but also with the with our Heavenly Father, asking on our behalf, maybe for things we wouldn't be bold enough to even ask. Johannes,
0: I said, or we don't know to ask.
1: Or we don't know to ask, exactly. That's that's kind of the point, yeah.
0: So what are we to take
1: away? We just have a couple of minutes. We're running just a little bit late today. Stephen, what do we got for a takeaway?
3: Quick comment on kind of, what came to mind to me was that expression, give a man a fish, teach a man
1: to fish. Yeah, it's a great connection here, right? The first one is, you know, uh, sort of giving them a fish, if I hear you right, like that prayer here, do this, but then the deeper understanding, let me teach you how to to make this more powerful. Yeah, well said, I like that. I mean, there are times, right? And we didn't go into this, but it's good for us not to receive the things we ask for. I think maybe that's part of that role of the spirit too. We don't have time to get into it, but that's a whole nother conversation, right? Not getting things that we ask for because they wouldn't be good for us, right? And parents sometimes do that to us, right? We don't get everything we ask for because it's not
7: good for us, right? Or they're teaching you that you have to earn what you want. Say again, Joanna. Or they're teaching you you have to earn what you want, you won't be given it. True. Sure.
1: So any other any other takeaways from this? for a rhythm for us in our prayer.
0: I think it cha- it helps us when, he, when you start at the beginning with father, so you're establishing that relationship just as if we were established relationship with our earthly father. And then as you go through the whole thing and you're asking for their will and you're looking for their wisdom, I think it changes the way you pray when you establish that familiarity. And so it, it comes from this formal, yes, there's, instead of it being a formula, It's kind of recognizing that, yes, we're going to ask for these things. We're going to ask him to hold on his promises. But when he says, everyone who asks receives, whoever seeks and whoever knocks, it's knowing that the same way that your earthly parents will discern what's best for you, that God has your best interest at heart. And so it really brings that trust piece in that you really have to stand on your faith and you really have to trust that he always has your best interest at heart. Excellent. Really
1: well said.
7: We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Table Dallas podcast. We invite you to join the conversation at one of our upcoming tables. To learn more about us, please check out our website at thetabledallas.com. We are saving
2: a seat for you at the table.